The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So welcome again. Hopefully a little bit more of each of us is here in the room. Welcome to those who who came in during our meditation. So I'd love to hear, uh, you know, just just that sound bite, that that intention, that longing, whatever that word or that phrase is that that you came to at the end that's bringing you here today. So. Um, I'll just repeat, Gail, I'll just repeat the, uh, what people say, because we'll, it'll be pretty quick. So anyone want to volunteer to just speak your... Uh, gentleness. Gentleness. Thank you. Honesty. And as you hear these words, notice how it feels. Notice how it feels to hear these values named in the room. Gentleness. Honesty. Stillness. Stillness. Equanimity. Equanimity. Acceptance. Hmm. Connection. Connection. Heart. Heart. Open heart. Respect. Respect. Kindness. Kindness. Mm. Less Less fearful. And if you had to put that in the positive... Mm, more at ease. Different flavor. Different flavor. More at ease. Yeah. It's helpful uh, often to frame things in terms of what we do want because then that gives us something to navigate towards rather than what we don't want. This is an important principle in our relationships, in our communication, when we are speaking with someone about something, to be able to talk about what it is that we do want rather than what we don't want. Anything else? Maybe one or two more. Love and goodwill. Love and goodwill. Mm-hmm. 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 Loving kindness in speech always. Great. Yeah. How beautiful all of these intentions, all of these lovely uh, values that we hold. And the possibility, right? The potential that we each have 
uh, as human beings for bringing these kinds of qualities into the world, into our lives, into our relationships. And then, and then that, and then that essential question of how. Right? How? How do we take these these bright pieces of our hearts and carry them forward into our days and actually live them, actually speak with loving kindness, actually bring goodwill and ease and gentleness into the very fabric of our lives. So this is, um, this is the tremendous gift of spiritual teachings is that they, uh, they give us a path, they give us a means to put into practice our heart's deep longings and wishes. So here in the West, um, the, the teachings of the Buddha have uh, the aspect of the teachings of the Buddha that have really caught on are the meditation teachings, you know, and, and we see that depicted in the very iconography of the Buddha, just the sense of the, the, the meditation posture. Right? You don't see the Buddha chopping wood or <laughs> paying bills or walking. Uh, there, are, there are some statues. There's a beautiful statue of the Buddha standing, walking out on the, on the counter there. But right, for the most part, what we receive and what's held up for us is this ideal of the meditation. And for good reason. It's a very powerful aspect of the teachings, but it's one aspect of a much, of a much fuller whole, of, of a completely... Uh, of a complete and integrated presentation about how to live, right? Um, so this is one of the things that's often talked about with uh, with Buddhism is that you know people will say well, it's not it's not a religion. You can debate that based on how you define religion, but that it's a way of life. You know, it's actually a way of life, um, which is a lot more than sitting and meditating for 20 minutes or an hour in the morning before you go out for your day. That's really important if you can do it. But that's, that's, that's one part. <clears throat> so the, the, one of the foundations of this whole path of practice is how we relate to one another how we get on with each other. And the one, one of the elegant parts of the teaching is that this is both the foundation, the beginning, and the end result. That the teachings themselves begin with a foundation of ethics, of a kind of relational sensitivity, saying, pay attention to what it's like when you're kind, when you're generous, how's that feel for us as human beings? Pay attention to what it's like when we're harsh, when we're short-tempered, 
when we're stingy? How's that feel as a human being? There's a distinct difference, yeah? There's a distinct difference in the tone of how it feels when we snap at someone versus when we have enough space inside to take a breath and be gracious. Not, not because we're forcing ourselves, but just because we want to, because we can. And we're kind because we can. That feels different to us. And that's the entry point to the teachings, that difference in how it feels, that there's something in how we're wired that actually feels better in some way when the heart is open, relaxed, kind, gentle, generous, loving. That feels better to us. And so that's the entry place to the path, to the teachings. And what's the end result? What's the end result when we've practiced deeply, when we've had some level of realization? We're more kind, we're more patient, we're more generous, we're more loving. The beginning and the end are, you know, are the same. And that's why one of the representations of the Buddha's teachings is the wheel, because it's it's a circle. It's a whole. It's a circle. The beginning and the end, and it it just deepens as we as we go through the path. So I I think that as human beings we have this fundamental longing for well-being. All of the different beautiful intentions that were voiced a few minutes ago, we, could, we can see those and understand those as, as different facets of, uh, of a life that's saturated in well-being, of a life that has a sense of, of wholeness and completion to it a sense of being really integrated in ourselves. And one of the things that happens when we take the teachings in this tradition and just pick out the meditation is that we end up with a little bit of a split, kind of a separation. Like, okay, I'm just going to do my meditation, I'm going to get really calm and well, that person I can't stand who I'm angry at I'm just going to kind of try to ignore them and push that away and push that away until I get oh they keep coming back I hate that and you know and then okay finally just a little bit of peace just a few moments of calm and the bell rings and great I'm done now I'm a good Buddhist I can go out and do my day and you know there's this kind of a split that can happen when that's the only piece that we actually learn or focus on and that's not how the Buddha taught. The Buddha taught a whole path of practice, right? It's called the Eightfold Path. Some of you have studied this perhaps quite extensively. Uh, the shorthand for it in the, in the early texts, the Buddha talks about Dhamma Vinaya. Dhamma, or what here we, we call Dharma, which is the Sanskrit version, Dharma, and Vinaya. How many of you have heard this word, vinya? Great, great. 
Vinaya is the code of conduct. Dhamma is the truth and the teachings, and then the Vinaya is how we live, the code of conduct. And these two together are what the Buddha teaches, Dhamma and Vinaya, the practice and the way we live. So a core part of this Vinaya, a core part of the, the how we live, is our speech, is our communication. It's a central aspect of what it is to be human. The fact that we have this capacity for language to connect, to make contact with one another through our words. And because, because of this, it's one of the primary ways that we can actually practice these teachings. Because speech, language, communication is such a central part of our lives, it's a powerful vehicle for waking up. So it's an explicit part of the teachings. It actually holds a really prominent place in the Buddha's teachings. Speech does. So any of you who have studied some of the uh, core teachings of the Buddha, you know that it's one of the five ethical precepts for a lay Buddhist to refrain from killing, stealing, causing harm with our sexual energy, causing harm with our speech, and taking intoxicants that confuse the mind and make us do all those other things. So it's right there. It's the only one of the five precepts that gets its own place in the Eightfold Path. So there's this whole Eightfold Path, this training in wisdom, in ethics, and in meditation. That's the summary of the Eightfold Path, Sila Samadhi Panya, wisdom, ethics, meditation. All the rest of the ethics are under one, uh, one factor, right action. Right speech is broken out. It was important enough to the Buddha that he said, this, is, this is its own training to learn to have speech that's conducive to awakening. So I think that there's, I think that there's a, there are reasons why he singled this out, why he made it its own practice, gave it such a central prominent place and if we, if we reflect a little bit on our communication and our speech, I think it becomes obvious very quickly. We're doing it all the time. We're communicating pretty much all the time. Whether we're speaking to someone else, listening to someone else, writing an email, texting... Or even when we're by ourselves, right? What are we doing a lot of the time? There's thoughts, kind of an inner speech that's happening, that's rolling through. So when we start to include our speech in our spiritual practice, all of a sudden we have a lot more time to practice (laughs) because we're doing it all the time. So once we start learning how to pay attention to our speech, our practice really can take off because we have that much more fuel, that much more material 
to practice with. We don't need to be sitting still in silence. Not only do we do it all the time, but have you noticed how powerful speech is? Yeah? How many of you have forged a deep bond with someone through conversation? How many of us have lost a friend or a relationship through something we said, through an argument? Right? Very, very powerful. The Buddha singled it out. It's one of the what's what are called the three doors of action body, speech, and mind. It's one of the ways that we create kama, that we create karma, which means that it has results, basically. What we say has results. We say something nice, that bears a certain result. We say something harmful, that bears a certain result, right? You burn a bridge in some way with your words, that has a result. It has a result internally on our own mind and heart. It leaves a certain flavor, a certain residue. It has a result externally in terms of the connections around us. So it's potent. It's potent. Part of its potency comes from the fact that it holds a very unique place within our makeup as a feeling, thinking, breathing, living being. So we have these bodies that can manipulate matter, that can do things physically. And we have these minds that can think, that can plan, that can analyze, that can perceive. And then we have a heart that feels, that senses. Things register, they have meaning for us. That's the heart. We feel things have meaning. And speech kind of bridges all of those. It's physical, right? I'm talking right now. It's a physical act. I'm produ- the, the body is producing sound waves that are touching your ear. So there's a physical component to it. It's embodied. There's a mental component to it, right? If I just make sounds, it doesn't mean anything to you, right? So there's a mental component. The mind is actually working, create, creating meaning. And there's a heart component to it. Yeah? If I speak quietly and softly like this, it creates a certain feeling for you. And if I speak harshly like this, it creates a different feeling, doesn't it? We feel speech. Do you feel that in your nervous system, right? So it all comes together as happening here in the moment. It's arising. What's forming it? Where is it coming from? What forms our speech? What's the intention that's driving it? Where is it coming from? Is it coming from fear, anger, confusion, greed? Is it coming from understanding, clarity, 
patience, empathy, gentleness. It's a very, very potent aspect of being alive that has effects. It has results. Uh, uh, I think it was last summer, I was up in the Nevada City area uh, for a wedding. Friends of my girlfriend were getting married. And during the reception, a lot of people, very loud. I I took a a little walk through the town just to get some air. And I ran into someone who knew me who had sat a retreat, one of the wise speech retreats that Donald Rothberg and I teach. Um, Usually do one every summer. Uh, And we just started chatting. He said, oh, you know, I'm so glad to run into you. I've been thinking about speech since that retreat we did and really reflecting on it and practicing with it. And I've had this question and I wanted to ask you, you know, what, what do you, what's the essence of right speech? What's the essence of it? This uh, factor in the noble eightfold path that the Buddha teaches called samma right speech. What's the essence of that? Wow, that's a good question. <laughs> Yeah, God, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I thought about it for a moment, and I, I, I gave him kind of a pat answer, just, you know, what came, which was, well, you know, right speech means abstaining from harsh speech, false speech, uh, divisive speech, and idle speech. Those are the four things that the Buddha singles out. He says, if you want to, you know, right speech, what is what is right speech? It means... Don't speak in ways that are harsh and abusive. Don't lie. Don't say things that aren't true. Don't use divisive speech. Don't use speech that actually separates people. Yeah, you know how we can do that, right? You say one thing to someone about someone else that's going to kind of get them on your side. Don't do that. And, and try to avoid idle speech, speech that has no purpose whatsoever. Yeah? This gets interpreted a lot of different ways, but I can give you a good example of idle speech. I think that sometimes in in lay Buddhist circles, we go a little too far with that. We think that everything needs to be really deep and meaningful, and that if we're just chatting and kind of connecting, you know, like, oh, did you see the Warriors game the other night? Oh, I can't believe, you know, like, we think that that's not, you know, okay, because, oh, that's idle speech. It's not meaningful. But there is some meaning there, right? We're connecting. We're actually... um, creating a feeling of warmth and mutuality and camaraderie. There, there is some meaning there. I, I was traveling earlier this spring in the Southwest with a good friend and teacher of mine, and we went to this beautiful place uh, in northern New Mexico, uh, northern Arizona, called Canyon de Chez. Spectacular, beautiful, majestic, uh, sacred site. And we were uh, at Spider Rock, this amazing lookout, this huge canyon, and this uh, uh, really remarkable spire that's been eroded, just this pillar several hundred feet tall in the middle of the canyon. And it was sunset on the red rocks. The sun is starting to set, and the light's changing on the hills. And I'm there with my monastic teacher, and we kind of walk up. And there was this group of... uh, tourists, um, 
maybe about six people, three, three couples. And uh, they were chatting about their hotel rooms and I don't even remember what the content was. Um, but here we all were at this majestic place with the sun setting and there was just this energy of just filling the silence, like needing to, needing to talk, this slightly frenetic, you know, about nothing, about nothing. That's idle chatter. Yeah. So this is what I said to this gentleman. I said, you know, avoid these kinds of speech. And then later that summer, I was reflecting on it. That's a really good question. What is the essence of right speech? What, what is it? And so I came up with an answer <laughs> that I like a lot better, that I think is actually what the Buddha was pointing to. So the essence of right speech is speech that leads to awakening, is speech that leads to freedom in the heart and the mind. That's why it's, that's why it's a factor in the Noble Eightfold Path. It's the path to liberation. What makes speech Wise speech, complete, samma, whole, complete, mature, wise, right speech, is that it goes in the direction of awakening, which means that it reduces unwholesome qualities in our mind and heart. It's speech that leads away from confusion, from greed, from hatred, from envy, how often does our speech go in that direction? How often does our speech go away from craving, self-centeredness? And it's speech that leads towards beautiful qualities, generosity, kindness, compassion, joy, truthfulness, diligence, resolve, patience. How often does our speech actually enhance those kinds of qualities? That's the essence, a speech that does that. The Buddha said, better than a thousand useless words is one useful word which when heard brings peace. So the power of speech to create harm or to lead to good. And we felt it right here in the room just a few minutes ago. But we look at history and we see time and again the power that language holds. The power that language holds to produce and perpetuate oppression, to drive wars or genocide, right? It's language, it's words, it's ideas that create 
other human beings as less than human and justifies atrocities, tragedy. And yet the beauty, at the same time, the potential, right? Poetry, literature, theater, the kind of the tenderness of language that can be created. And those, those seeds, that potential for harm or for good rests within each of us, within our heart, within our mind, and within the speech that's produced. So I come back to the question, how? Right? How? How do, we, how do we craft it? How do we take this potential for creating that we've each been endowed with? How do we craft it so that it goes in the direction of awakening? So that it brings more light into the world rather than more darkness? So this is what I would like to offer today. This is what we're here for today, is to, is to explore and examine this question of how. How do we do this? And I'd like to start with what the Buddha offered, which are the guidelines. The Buddha said, look, if you're interested in being happy, if you're interested in being at peace, if you're interested in feeling good about yourself, having a sense of dignity and integrity in your life, don't lie. Don't say things that aren't true. It's really not going to be for your benefit. Don't speak harshly. Don't be abusive with your words with the tone of your voice. That's not going to be for your welfare. That will not take you in the direction of happiness, well-being, and peace. Don't be divisive. Don't use words to separate people, to get people on one side or the other side. That's not going to be for your welfare. And don't just spout off about nothing just to fill the space, you know? It's precious, this energy, to speak. Really, it really takes energy. And it has an effect, so be careful with it, you know? Be careful with your words. Make them meaningful. Make them beautiful. That's going to be for your welfare. Each of those has a positive. This is a a quote from the Buddha. He said, One speaks such words as are gentle, pleasing to the ear and lovable, words that go to the heart, that are courteous, desired by many and agreeable by many. 
So that's the opposite of harsh speech. So he also, he also gave a positive. He didn't just say, don't do these things. That's very important to know what are the boundaries, right? When I was younger, I used to have fun playing soccer, frisbee, yeah? Whenever you play a game, you've got boundaries, out of bounds, right? That's out of bounds. So the Buddha's outlining the playing field. He's saying, if you want to play the game of being happy and waking up and feeling, <laughs> you know, enriched by life, these are the rules. These are the boundaries. You go outside those boundaries, you know, you're not playing, you're not playing the game. So those are the boundaries. False speech, harsh speech, divisive speech, idle speech. But then there's also what you do in the game, Right? And the Buddha gave some guidelines for that. He said, some of them are just the opposite, but there's, it shows up in different places. Sometimes they're four, sometimes they're five. We can summarize it. He said, use speech that's true. Say, th- say, say what's truthful, what's actually honest and truthful. And this is a training. It's one thing to say, well, don't lie, but what's actually true? What's actually true? We, when we express ourselves, is it true to say, you betrayed me? Is it true to say, I feel betrayed? Well, that's kind of an interpretation about you, right? I'm kind of, I'm kind of putting my story on what happened. So is that true? Is it more true to say, I feel really angry and hurt and confused about what happened. That's true. You notice the difference? So this is a training to say what's true, to actually discern the difference between the stories we tell and what we actually experience, to say what's true. He said, say things that are helpful. What's actually going to be beneficial and helpful to a situation? What's helpful? What's useful? This is another training. To actually pause, to actually, you know, really examine what's going to be helpful here. What's the skillful thing to say? Maybe it's nothing. You know, maybe it's something a little bit more subtle than what we might, you know, initially just want to say. How do we do that? How do we say something that's useful, that's appropriate to the situation? So what's true, what's helpful or useful? He said, be affectionate. Be affectionate and gentle in your speech. Yeah? Whenever possible. Whenever possible to have your speech be, be affectionate. Which doesn't, only, which doesn't always mean that people are going to like what we have to say. It just means that it's coming from a place of goodwill. That it's coming from that root in the heart of kindness rather than enmity or ill will. It's a beautiful story in the, in the texts the Buddha tells about a baby with a pebble stuck in its throat. 
He's talking to a father who has a child, and he says, you know, what would you do if that baby had a pebble in its throat? You know? Well, then the father says, well, you know, I would take my finger and scoop it in and take the pebble out. And the Buddha asks, you know, but that would hurt the baby. It would cry. It would scream. It would be in pain. And the Buddha says, yes. You know, the father says, yes, but, you know, if I don't do that, it's going to die. So even though it's hurtful, it's coming from a place of care. And then the Buddha says, you know, even so, I will say things sometimes that are disagreeable to people, that they don't like, that are painful to hear, but it's coming from compassion because I see that this will help them. So speaking affectionately, speaking kindly, doesn't always mean that it's nice. It's not about being nice. It's about being grounded in our heart in, in goodwill, in kindness, and knowing what's really going to be helpful. So is it true? Is it helpful? Is it affectionate and kind in its source? And then the last one, is it timely? Is it the right time? So we can have something to say, this is true. This is going to be helpful. We might have something to say that's true that's not helpful, right? Don't say it. Is it true? Is it helpful? It's coming from goodwill. But you know what? Now's not the right time. Don't say it. Wait till the right time. Sometimes that's the hardest, to just to, to know and to wait until the right time. Sometimes the right time might be a few years. Yeah? To have that much patience. To have that much trust in ourself, in the other person. So what I'd like to do is, um, so our day will move back and forth between uh, me kind of talking and then us doing activities together. Uh, this is the most, what I've just shared is the most I'm going to talk at, at one stretch for our day. So I know I've, I've shared quite a bit now, but I really wanted to frame the day and um, create some sense of what it is we're really dealing with here when we look at our communication and our speech. So what I'd like to do now is to, is to break into some small groups, and I'll help organize this, and reflect on two questions together. The first is, of these four guidelines, what's true, what's helpful, what's kind, coming from goodwill, and what's timely, where's a place of strength for you? We each have strengths. Some we're born with, some we learn and cultivate. So what's one of these areas? It's a place of strength for you, you know? Maybe you're really good at timing. Maybe, maybe you have a really strong commitment to truthfulness, and you're really careful about that, you know? So for yourself, what's an area that's really strong? And then the flip side, what's an area that you recognize, you know, I really like to improve in this area. I could really use to give some attention to this guideline, to saying what's helpful. I'll say things that's true, I'm really well-intentioned, but it's not always so helpful. I kind of, I sometimes, I forget that. I forget to look and say, is this really going to be useful to share 
with this person in this meeting, in this situation? You know, so for yourself, what's an area of strength? What's an area that you would like to give more attention to that you recognize, I could really improve at this area if I give it some attention? So we'll take uh, about 10 minutes, maybe a little bit more for this. And I uh, invite you for this exercise to just work with one other person. I invite you to work, to pair up with someone you don't know. So some of you maybe have come with a friend, a relative, uh, just in terms of creating more connections in our community to pair up with someone you don't know. And what, what I'll do is I'll ring a bell. We'll, first, we'll deal with the strengths, and, I'll, and then I'll ring a bell, and then we'll talk about the uh, areas of improvement. So within that first section, it's up to you if you want to just have kind of a free-flowing conversation or if you want to structure the time where, you know, one person speaks and the other person listens, and then you trade. So that's, that's up to you how you want to do that. Any questions about what we're, what we're doing now? Yeah, so let's, let's, take, uh, let's take 12 minutes, six minutes for each question. So if you're going to split it in half, you'd, you'd take three minutes, the other person would take three minutes. Okay? All right. So turn to someone, introduce yourself in this, in, this, in this exploration of how. How do we realize our intentions? How do we walk this path? So the first is just listening, just receiving teachings and instruction and actually getting some input. Yeah, just like, hey, what about this? You know, check this out. Look over here. And so there's been a lot of that so far this morning with me talking. So that's one. And then two, there's the sense of reflecting. Reflecting inwardly, considering it, turning it over. So inviting you to reflect on your intention. Inviting you to reflect just now silently on what are my strengths? Can I really, you know, own that? Let it in. Be like, hey, you know. This is good. This is a good thing. And the areas that I want to improve on, really just acknowledging that without beating myself up or putting myself down, but just, yeah, you know, I can, I can work on this one. That sense of reflecting. <clears throat> and then the third component is practice. Actually practicing. And this is essential. We don't, we don't gain mastery over anything without practice. And to practice, in particular with speech, one of the unique things about speech is that it's really important in practice to have someone else to practice with. And that's the gift of a day like today or a class or a group that you go to that's focused on communication is that you have a guide, you have someone there who has some more experience, who can offer things that are useful. You have a structure where, okay, we're going to take five minutes and we're going to look at this together. And then you have a partner or a group. You have someone with whom to practice with because speech is a relational activity. 
We don't learn to speak on our own. You know, we pick it up from the human beings around us. And we do it with one another. It happens internally as well, but initially, and for a lot of the time, it's relational. So we need that to practice it. <clears throat> so before, before we go on, I want to just leave a little space and see if there are any questions or comments about what I've shared and what we've done so far this morning. Yes. Now would, now would be a good time while we do questions. If you need to use the bathroom. Yeah. Any questions about the content? How many people could use a short break just to stretch? And Okay. Why don't we, why don't we, t- why don't we take five minutes, stretch your legs, get some air, and... Uh, And let's come back together again after that.